This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. I'm Tanner Olson, and this is the Walk a Little Slower podcast. Here we talk about hope and heaviness, creating and continuing joy and sorrow, life and God, questions and answers, and everything in between. This is a podcast where you were invited to slow down, to lean in, to hold fast, and to eventually, to eventually keep going. Welcome. Welcome back to another episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. I'm just happy to be here, and I am just happy that you are here. As always, thank you for joining me for these episodes. It really does mean the world. I'm excited to share today's episode with you. I'm joined by guest Sarah Billups. Sarah is a Seattle-based writer and cultural commentator whose work has appeared in the New York Times, ever heard of it, Christianity Today, and more. Her first book, Orphaned Believers follows the journey of a generation raised in the 80s and 90s of evangelicalism reckoning with the tradition that raised them and searching for a new way to participate in the story of God. And that's what we're talking about today, her incredible book, Orphaned Believers. So without any more waiting, here is my conversation with author and writer, Sarah Billups. Well, awesome. Well, Sarah, thanks for being here. Um, when, when someone asks you, what do you do? Mm. What do you tell them? Well, thanks for having me, Tanner. I'm so pumped to talk to you. Um, when someone asks me what I do, I say that I have um, two jobs, that I have a, a job as a writer, um, which is my true calling and identity. And then I also work um, at a nonprofit doing um, communications work 40 hours a week. And so I have my day kind of sort of truncated between the work that I do for my career, which I love, but then mm-hmm. my mornings, evenings, um, and certainly a lot of my mental space is around around writing and being a writer. Yeah. And it took me a long time to call myself that. I think it takes a lot of us that write a long time to say it. Um, mm. But I actually was just talking to my son. I'm like, you know what? I'm a I'm a writer, and I say that freely. Like, no one gets mm-hmm. to tell you when you get to use it. There's no qualification or test. Um, there's just a, a little bit of a disarming or a ah, mm-hmm. like an exhale. That's what I am. Yeah. I'm a writer. And you get to uh, you get to live into that as well. There's um, I get a lot of messages on the internet of of people who are like, I'm an aspiring writer. Here are all my poems. Here are all my stories. Here's the book that I've been working on. And I have to tell them, I'm like, well, you're not a you're not an aspiring writer. You're actually a writer. And so if you could if you can just start calling yourself a writer, I think that things are going to be a little bit smoother because you feel like you're like working against something rather than living into something. And that's I don't it's it's a game changer. Yeah, that's right. I think that there's an anxiety or a frenetic energy around around that word 
And mm. you're right. I think that when someone will frame something, I'm an aspiring writer. What I'm thinking is, you need to start calling. You need to start calling yourself a writer. Um, yeah. Get past it. Like move past yeah. it, and then pretty quickly, there's a a liberation that comes when you just take that mm -hmm. take that name. Yeah, I've been I've been writing for about ten years, and for for a long time, I thought, well, I have to earn the title of poet. Like I have to mm -hmm. earn the title. Like I have to do something. And and like you can't just be like this person who doesn't write poetry, call yourself a poet. Like that's not like you like, but I was actively writing poetry and pursuing it. And you know, I was just like, you know what? Maybe I am this. Like I just am. It's not like an astronaut. Like I can't call myself an astronaut. Somebody else has to like certify me to become an astronaut. But anybody can just become a poet, you know? It's like, there you are. You're writing poetry. You're a poet. Totally. Um, There's no qualification. Yep. There's no like yeah. screening test. There's not any. <laughs> Aptitude pieces. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I've been following your work for a couple of months now, and I've really, I've really been enjoying it. Um, your your writing is it's honest and it's hopeful, it's bold, uh, but it's also like it's also really in, inviting. Uh, before we talk about your writing, I want to talk about your Instagram bio. Thank there you. are there's it says in your Instagram bio, courage to pursue a resilient faith, hmm. and I love. I love it's good, right? You wrote it. It's good. Um, <laughs> I just haven't heard anyone say it out loud. That's why I just reacted. <laughs> I heard it um, <laughs> but courage to pursue a resilient faith. Can you tell me more about that? Yeah, you know, when I um so I wrote this book, Orphaned Believers, and so the the idea is a person of faith, a person pursuing Jesus and looking around American. Christianity and not knowing where Jesus is, you know, and so this mm -hmm. idea of how I think we can have a sense of estrangement that uh, could be either cultural or spiritual. And so I think when I when I use the word resilient faith, it means mm -hmm. if I'm I grew up in the Bible Belt, if I'm in a place where there's cultural Christianity and a lot of folks that go to church, but I'm not really seeing a lot of um, real change. Like I, I feel like an expectation to call myself a Christian, but I don't know what that means. I think it can be really um, depleting. And I think resiliency can come through moving towards Jesus. And then I, I the same thing with uh, being in a city like mine. I mean, I live in Seattle and it's a place where if you go to church, it's not accidentally, it's typically not a way to gain a ton of social capital. And so how do you pursue a kind of wholehearted, authentic, faith in a place where that might be less less common or exhausting to say what you mean when you tell someone you're a Christian. So that resiliency kind of comes from various geographic kind of experiences I've had. Oh, for sure. Well, I just I I love that description. And it's more of this like, you are you're you're you're, you're grabbing it and you're leaning into it as well. It's not just like, we go to church on Sundays, because we go to church on Sundays. It's this no, I am pursuing this relationship into to live it out with with resilience and i just love the world word resilience it's just a good it's just a good word um all right let's talk about orphan believers how a generation of christian exiles can find the way home and right before we hit record i was just saying how incredible the cover is how the book feels uh now this is a podcast so people aren't seeing us right now but uh if you if you find the book on amazon you're just gonna love the cover it's red it's beautiful. And there's a couple of uh, like a stack of Polaroids on the center of the cover with one of them being uh, like a cassette tape or like a old phone record tape, record tape, like hold open. What, tell me about the, the cover, how it came to be. Yeah, you know, the cover went through many iterations. The folks at Baker are lovely. 
mm-hmm. and patient um, with my trying to get at this. So the book talks about coming up in the 80s and 90s. It's kind of mm-hmm. looking back to when I was a kid to try to uncover some of the pieces in culture wars and in my own story with my dad that kind of led to where I am and where our culture is today. And so I wanted to figure out how to have a healthy nod to a kind of throwback 90s, 80s, 90s era kind of cultural mm-hmm. relics. So like the mixtape, you yes. know, um, but not in a way that felt in any way uh, hokey. That's the word that comes to mind. Or, you know, just sort of like an <laughs> eye-rolling yeah. exaggeration. But yeah. I think that the unspooling of the tape, you know, certainly I'm trying to get at a kind of longing or a trying to kind of understand um, mm. how, how we've all become, I think many of us have become spiritually disoriented or there's been a little bit of an unraveling or an ungrounding, a decentering. Mm. And so I mm-hmm. think that the image gets at that. Um, now, Tanner, that might be very aspirational, and maybe folks will just <laughs> see a tape. <laughs> but that's my that's my deep my deep hope that some folks will pick up on that. And I think that's kind of what you're what you're saying. No, I, I I definitely see that. Uh, I always, you know, I think artists and creatives are like, well, I don't want to explain what this means. I want you to interpret it for what you want it to be. But sometimes I'm like, yeah, but I also want to know why you did what you did or why you picked. But like one of my favorite parts about going to concerts is hearing the musicians talk about the song before they play the song. I want to know the story behind it. I want to know why did you make this decision? Why did you pick red? Why did you pick this? Like, what is what is everything behind it? And why does it mean so much more to you? Mm-hmm. Um, I listened, I, I was, um, at a songwriting conference the other day. I'm not a songwriter, but I went because I was just like, this is going to be great. And uh, uh, and one of the artists there was talking about one of her songs. And uh, as she was talking about it, the song just changed for me completely because of why she wrote it and what Mm, she had in mind when she was writing it. And it doesn't like, it doesn't change the song for me. It just like helps it. It adds something to it, uh, creates some depth around it. So that's good. I, I, I see that when I look at your cover now, like I see, I see the nod, I see the looking back, and I also see, um, like it's it's a little bit faded. I don't know. Yeah, it's yeah. great. And, so, and, yeah. yeah, something else I would just say really quick. You mentioned the color. I think that as a as a woman writing uh, in a uh, kind of mm. faith based writing space, I think that throughout the way, I've had to be really clear that I'm writing to like um, all generations, all all genders. Like I'm not. Mm. Um, I'm not just trying to to reach women. And I think that a lot of times when a woman writes something in a faith-based space, we kind of bucket in our minds to kind of this self-help thing. And so it was really important to me to have a bold, kind of clear, sort of <laughs> gender neutral, yes. you know, kind of kind of color to make sure it was clear that this is more of a sort of journalistic piece and a little less about belonging, but more about a kind mm. of cultural exploration of what happened. And I think that there's yes. a lot of encouragement there, but it is certainly not just about kind of inner work, but about cultural understanding and seeing how we fit into those pieces. Yeah, because the the book it's it's for everybody. Uh, but your 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 main focus on this book it seems to be for uh, for Christians, for followers of Jesus who grew up in the eighties and in the nineties, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, in yeah. the early part of the book, you you say that uh, that orphan believers seek to answer the question, uh, what happened to a generation of Christians who grew up in the church but are left weary and wandering? Mm. And I love I love those two words, the weary and the wandering. They're very um, they're very poetic, but they also see a lot of different people. I think a lot of people feel very weary 
and feel like they're just kind of wandering and wandering and wandering and looking for home. So how does all of this play out in orphaned believers? Yeah, you know, the weariness, you know, I don't know anybody that would not talk about being deeply tired, going through some kind of grief, if it's anticipatory, we're actually losing someone because of COVID. There were just so many waves that that hit us, you know, if we were just standing on the shore thinking about everything that happened over the past few years, um, mm -hmm. the election, um, mm. all of the, the, the brokenness and difference politically and socially that we have in the church, and then just thinking about church scandals and the way that the murder of George Floyd played out. I mean, I, you know, I feel like, you know, everyone knows the list because we've all lived yeah. through it. And so we're all tired and we're all tired for, for good reason. And if you're not tired, that is a grace and a beautiful thing. And we need you <laughs> to be strong for everyone, for us, you know, but, um, so we're tired. And then I think that we're all looking around for some kind of anchor or Ebenezer, some kind of rock or, or got something to hold on to. You know, I was mm. just, um, I was in the UK. I'm a part of this writing program at Western Seminary called the Sacred Art of Writing that Wing Collier is doing at the Peterson Center. And we went over to the UK for a literary tour. We went to the Holy Island, to Lindisfarne mm. after um, being in Edinburgh for a bit. And there's the, this island is really interesting because the um, bus and buses can only go over at a certain time of day. The tide comes in. And so there are these actual wooden poles that are like meant for, for pilgrims because some people walk there to like actually guide you from one step to the next. So we went out to the, my husband and I went out and we just held on to one and it just became this very like beautiful, um, beautiful and grounded kind of reminder that we are not the first people to come through our own sort of pilgrimage culturally or our own sort of desolation and that we are seeking like a lot of other people. And so I think that when it comes to wandering, there's a comfort in knowing we're not alone. We're not alone now. And in fact, we follow a long line of saints that have gone through many, many mm. different and difficult times. And so there was a, a certain, mm, I don't know if comfort's the right word, but something kind of resonated. So, you know, those ideas I'm, I hope kind of come up in the book. Um, I think that it's important to rise up everything that's been wrong to bring the truth to light, but not to do that to burn it down, but to bring mm -hmm. us back around to to goodness and faith and to God. And so I, I tried to walk us out, but also kind of bring us to a destination. Um, so I tried to end with hope because I really do feel hopeful in spite of our weary, weary wandering. Yeah. Well, so how was writing this book for you? Because I mean, you, you do talk a lot about a lot of heavy things and a lot of difficult things. And some of the reasons why those things are difficult is because um, some people will say this is this way or this is that way. And so I can only imagine writing it and hearing uh, the the voice of one side and the voice of another side in your head as you're writing it. But uh, as I've been reading it, the word that comes to mind is you're just trying to be faithful to the story and to the truth and um, that you truly do care for orphaned believers. So what was it, what was it like to put these words down on paper? Yeah, it was, um, it was physical. It was, it was, uh, the actual process was, um, was exhausting in a really interesting way. Uh, the way that my body, and I think that writers feel this sometimes, the way that my body felt, I would, I would research for a little while. I'd write for maybe an hour. Then I would just lay down next to my desk with my face against the carpet and I would sleep for like half an hour. Like my, my body almost was responding 
with my mind being kind of maxed out. And so it was an interesting physical experience that I did not expect. And I've been writing for a while and I've never mm -hmm. experienced. Um, and so I can look at different parts of the book and remember where I was when I wrote a certain section or um, what the weather was, what season it was. There's just a, it, it was a very visceral process. And uh, I think the other thing I'd say about the process of writing it is um, there's a real intimidation when it's your first book and mm. someone's taking a chance on you and you feel like you want to have something new to say. And there were points when I thought, I don't know if I can get there. Um, mm -hmm. I don't know if this is actually a new perspective. And I don't know if I can connect the dots in my mind. There was such a stretching. And so when I would finally yeah. get somewhere, for example, I wrote about eschatology and I thought, what's the difference in the black and white church with eschatology and how we think about think about all things being made new. And then I then there was something that kind of unlocked that got me around mm -hmm. to another place. There were just lots of interesting corners I had to turn to mm -hmm. kind of know that I could pre present something that I was hopefully like fresh and honest and true. And yeah. lots of insecurity, honestly, Tanner, just very, yeah. very human experience. <laughs> yeah, there's uh, writing a book is no like it's no easy feat. You know, I was, I was talking with another writer this morning and, and one of the things that you hear as, as writers is writing the book is the easy part. The hard part is selling it uh, or putting it out there and releasing it. And that's like the worst, that's like the worst thing to hear, especially because writing a book, it takes so much out of you. But I mean, I can only imagine that as you were writing it and, and, you know, taking your, your naps, thinking, well, it, it matters. Like if it's exhausting you to the point of like, I need a nap from writing then you're, you're writing something that's, that, that matters. Yeah, I hope, I hope so. You know, I, I think that that's an interesting thing that your friend said, because I think they're both seriously hard, you know, especially mm -hmm. if I think a lot of writers are introverted or I'm, I'm certainly more confident or comfortable um, using word, using words on paper than I am saying them in front of people. And so I think that when you have to then put a marketing hat on, you move out of the writing phase with, with its own, Peculiar, peculiar, peculiar kind of postures and I don't know twists and turns. Then you put on this marketing hat where you're sort of talking about the book and the world. It's a very different kind of muscle to hmm. to stretch and to and to work. It's a, a different part of your brain. So I think mm -hmm. all parts of writers are are challenged with publishing. You know. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, how did you get get started writing? I think one of the things uh, that I like doing on this podcast is is talking about the things that writers have created. But I think a lot of times people are hesitant to to jump in or to move forward with the dream that they have. And so hearing kind of the backstory from other people who are like, I've written a book, We're like well, what happened before you got there? So how did you get started as a writer? Yeah, yeah, I think sometimes people write books if they are, um, you know, like maybe a pastor that has a sermon series that could translate to paper or doing podcasts primarily or speaking, like some of us write books for different reasons, but mm -hmm. like for me, I feel like writing is the the thing that I am called to do, the thing I can do. I don't, I don't think that the book could have been a different kind of format. And so I just knew that if I was ever going to write a book, it would be um, immensely hard, but also the one thing I'd always kind of longed for. Um, and so, you know, I always, I wrote as a kid, always writing uh, poetry, pretty bad poetry, studied creative writing in undergrad and sort of workshopping stuff. Um, and then I got to the point where I moved to Seattle about 20 years ago and started writing for work. So I was writing um, more sort of journalistic pieces. I was at one point editing a, a news website and writing up to six 
articles a day. I was pumping out content like a, like a machine, and it was incredibly taxing. Yeah. And so, for most of my thirties, um, I was in grad school. I was having kids. I was writing content, and so I really put creative work away because I just didn't have capacity, and the professional stuff really flooded. Um, my interest in writing, writing creatively. I was just tired, you know? And so then yeah. it wasn't until, and the other thing I'd say is that in Seattle, I got very good at um, truncating, kind of going to church on Sunday and talking about that with my kind of alt-weekly um, life where I was having this really amazing and fun career doing content, but it was not, it felt a little truncated. I didn't feel like I was really able to bring my full self to my writing yeah. um, around 2016. When, tr when Trump came on the scene, um, I began to realize I have something to say. I was in my late 30s then. I'm now in my um, early to mid 40s. And I just thought, you know, I've, I've been around long enough. I've seen my faith go through ups and downs, including its long time in a spiritual desert. I just think that I have something to write about when it comes to believing in God today. And I did that privately for a couple of years, but honestly, Tanner, I was, I was, um, I was pretty, I had a lot of fear about sharing that publicly because my mm -hmm. whole identity had been publicly about very different things, um, mm -hmm. professionally. And so I started writing publicly, in, uh, in 2018, kind of got over it, but it was a pretty scary, um, time because I wondered if I'd be rejected by peers or co-workers yeah. it was a really interesting thing because i realized quickly everyone is lovely and celebratory and really very kind and so very gracious and so mm -hmm. that's when i started to really um think how do i grow on instagram how do i show up publicly oh, in a way no. that's not gross <laughs> yeah oh that's <laughs> oh that's a oh the hard turn of i love to write right now how do i do things on the internet how do i oh. do it online i know it's oh. so hard and then and then i had this idea for orphans believers i woke up spring of the pandemic 2020 and thought <gasps> it was like coming out of the water i actually felt like yeah. I, I was asleep and i just woke up and i thought i've got it and i just got out a bunch of index cards and got on the floor and started and so that began this this whole book process that's that's a lot and, and you talk about that a little bit in the book of you know life on sunday versus life kind of throughout the week and there is this there was a divide, there was this kind of division and there was, you know, division all throughout the world as well. And so how do you, how did you handle like following Jesus while living in a city that it was kind of that, that was, you were the, you were the weird one for following Jesus, right? Uh, or you were, for lack of better words, wrong, yeah. right? Like out there, they would probably blatantly just say, well, that's not correct. Um, so yeah. how did you kind of yeah. handle all of that? I handled it poorly for a long time. You know, we moved out um, from I'm from Indiana and we moved out uh, with a bunch of friends in the early to mid 2000s to try co-housing and intentional mm. community. Pretty quickly, we realized um, that the city had a certain weight and a pace. And it wasn't just um, I'd spent summers in New York and San Francisco and love the Northwest. So it wasn't just the city, there was something about this place that I now understand uh, years later was really because as as Mars Hill was was certainly growing mm -hmm. in popularity, there was this narrative, um, like a very popular mm -hmm. beat in Seattle periodicals, like here's a Mars Hill owned business. Mars Hill is essentially trying to Christianize the city. There's like a stadium Easter service. I don't think mm -hmm. I realized when we landed how big of a narrative that was. And so it was a disorienting mm -hmm. time. 
many peers that we moved with or other people that we knew just began to use, just were, were really unsure. And I began to feel mm. unsure and community ended pretty quickly. My husband went to seminary and had this main idea, but I spent about 10 years just kind of flailing and, and not understanding how I was supposed to move past showing up at church on Sundays and, and flourish in my faith. And it really wasn't until around the time I started writing that I began to pursue spiritual direction, started to do the exam and started to really look at mm. contemplative practices. Growing up, I was told Catholicism was sketchy or maybe Catholics weren't Christians, like a lot of evangelicals. Yeah. And so it really wasn't until my, my, my mid to late thirties that I began to understand the beautiful grounding posture of listening prayer of just quieting mm. down. And that, that began to, along with writing, privately about faith really unlock something um, that began to give me some strength for the journey. Um, that just was a slow, a slow thing, but I just, I, I did it poorly for a long time. And it began to, I think I might write about this in the book. I almost felt like I was carrying a bag of like filled with rocks over my shoulder. Again, to physicality, there was a yeah. almost a weight where I could not continue to manage these two, these two identities that no one even cared about, but me, you know, it was a very self aggrandizing thing. So getting over it took a long time and I, what a gift to be on the other yeah. side. And then when you show up as your full self, people, like you said, are pretty celebratory. They're like, oh, you know, it's like, I think uh, a lot about the the movie, you ever see the movie Hook with yeah. uh, Robbie Williams? And it's like, yeah. well, there there you are, Peter. Yeah. It's like, yeah, yeah like, <laughs> there you are. Welcome back. I'm so glad you're here. That's so funny. We say that all the time. My husband always, there you are, Peter. That's so oh, funny. Oh, so funny. I've been saying it a lot <laughs> recently. That's awesome. Uh, but I think about that, like, uh, even I, I sometimes I, that I do that with myself as well of the whole oh, there you are, like you mm. got lost in the mix and in the fold and in the news and all the division and it's like nope, there you are and it's like remembering, oh I am a child of God, I am loved, I am seen, I am forgiven, and I am also very messy, but I am, yeah. That's I'm so loved. Great. And talk about claiming yeah. identity, like we talked about claiming the identity yeah. of a writer. Mm -hmm. just claiming the identity of a person that is that is loved and seen by god is just yeah. such a kind of quite it brings such a quieting of the spirit yeah it takes off the the backpack full of rocks and is like you didn't need to be carrying that this whole time see isn't this a better way of living yeah, yeah. um when we were when we were emailing back and forth uh i was like well you know we can talk about whatever you want to talk about and then you kind of gave this list of things that you would be happy to talk about and there were a couple that stood out to me there are a couple i was like i we don't have enough time to get into that but one of the things i wanted to, to touch on is um you said that you were happy to talk about like finding prayer rhythms and practices in mm. in your late 30s can you talk about that a little bit yeah yeah that that's it just kind of um building off that long time kind of curiosity about Catholicism, but not sure. I mean, as a kid, we were told there's just a lot of smells and bells and liturgy and that's kind of boring and we can't take community. It just, it was just something I didn't understand or experience, but I went on a silent retreat for the first time about five years ago. And as a person that always has something on in the background, I was just writing about this yesterday that always has something kind of in my head or headphones on. It was, um, the first, the first night was incredibly uncomfortable, and then something really unlocked mm. the, the next day. Uh, we, I was with a small group. We would eat together in silence. <laughs> I would meet with a director, a spiritual director, um, for an hour a day. So I talk an hour a day. But that was the, if I look back, really the beginning of inviting 
inviting myself into something uncomfortable to begin to try to meet God in a different way. And I think that that's something a lot of us have experienced as we look into these other practices. And so I began to meet again with the spiritual director every month. And the the thing about writers and creative people, I think, is that imaginative prayer can be really, um, really vivid and interesting. And so I began to with this wonderful woman, Debbie Tacky Smith, work through um, guided prayer. We would sometimes do prayers of the heart where we would just, you know, sit in silence and she'd say, imagine your heart is a series of rooms and doors. Where are you? Where is Jesus? Talk about this room and just the images and the, the kind of powerful new way that I was able to see Jesus and where I was in relation to him. He's outside of the room. He's in the corner. Now he's in, it was just, um, really cool and so i think if we're creative exploring those kinds of practices can be um wonderful and then um the other thing that changed in my 30s is the way that i prayed was typically a laundry list of what was wrong and now i typically sit in silence um in the mornings and just try to listen i look around i spend more time outside it's just a more grounded um, pace. And so I think that prayer now has become about more listening than talking. I still do plenty, but <laughs> but the, the way that I think I prayed growing up as an evangelical kid was just very, um, am I okay? Come into my heart. Am I in the book of life? Are you there? Mm. Just a lot of, a lot of searching. And now yeah. it's more kind of, kind of quiet and, and hoping to receive so that, that kind mm. of posture has changed. Yeah. I, I can remember uh, learning to pray as a kid and it was always the, you know, close your eyes, bow your head, fold your hands. And I know, I know why we do that. And, and these days I, I'm, I, my eyes are, they're open in my hands. I have to fold my hands cause I'm a very busy person. Uh, I think it's like self-diagnosed ADD, but my eyes are open and I am like, I, I, I am looking and I'm searching and I am, I am, I am listening. Um, and I think like, I don't know. I think one of the things that we're learning or I'm learning as I get older is this whole idea of slowing down and then leaning in. So going deeper into that. Well, you know, tell me more about that. Why do we, why do we do this? Well, what else can we do? Are there other ways that work? Um, you know, and there's also like, you know, you think about like classrooms and learning styles. I was awful with lectures, but if like a teacher were to sit down next to me and tell me like what we were learning, I would remember it for the rest of my life because it was yeah, more okay. relational. Right. And so I think like, you know, taking that and applying that to to prayer as well. Um, I love, I love, I love the listening. I I feel like, yeah, I'm like you. I'm always writing. I'm always talking, but listening is just all right. I'm going to go outside and I'm just going to sit and be and breathe. And there's something, there's something about that. There's something about that. Yeah, you know, I I think the other thing I'd say is if folks have have not tried this kind of prayer. It's almost like if you give up caffeine or you do dryuary, there's just this, or you do a cleanse. What there's almost like the first the first few days, mm-hmm. just the discomfort is palpable, almost like a sensation for some folks, like almost like yeah. hunger. You just mm-hmm. notice the discomfort and quiet, and then just it just takes a little bit. But I think once you kind of move past that, climb over that hill, then mm-hmm. something really cool can happen. So I just I would say it takes a little little bit sometimes. Yeah, and that there's uh, there's not really a wrong way to pray. Like you can't, it's not like, there's not like rules. You're not going to do it wrong. Like, it's like, this is where you get to, to, to talk with your creator, with your God, and just simply you get to be, you know, and, and, and there's a lot of helpful ways to help you navigate. How do we do this? Cause some people are like, I just don't know, you know? And so it's like, yes, give thanks. Yes. You know, requests all this kind of stuff. But yeah, 
it is and i think the more that we talk about it the less intimidating it might be for others right and yeah, I, and i think your right. your your book really does this too is you know it, it talks about some some hard things there's some things that maybe we we don't often talk about but by talking about it and by bringing it up you, we we begin to see you know uh, like you said earlier like we're not alone in this um yeah, and that's okay that's okay. Yeah. Um, all right. I, w- yeah. I want to close. I want to close with a little, a little game, um, a little finish the sentence game. And for those who have been listening to this podcast, uh, the last couple of months, you know, it's the same, same fill in the blank questions. Um, if there's others that I need to be doing, let me know. I would love that, but these are my favorite. So are you ready, Sarah? I just took another swig of coffee. I'm getting myself <laughs> in the right headspace. Let's try it. Yeah. <laughs> all right. The perfect breakfast is Avocado toast. Oh, I'm not a millennial, but it sounded like it. <laughs> no, it's really good. That's a good. Do, are you like avocado toast with coffee? A hundred percent. Do you have like a perfect kind of coffee? Well, Tanner, that's a whole conversation. My husband's a coffee professional, so we have a whole we have a whole thing. We oh, whole thing. and you get, and you all are in Seattle, where like yeah. there I mean, is it's such a cliche. <laughs> <laughs> yes. No, it's I hey, I, I live in Nashville. There's like there are people who are like, this is the there's 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 no wrong way to pray, but there is a wrong way to make coffee. Like, like you funny. know, there's yeah. I tend to agree. <laughs> All right. Here is what I know about heaven. It is a place of rest. Hmm. That's good. Which I think means that wait, am I not supposed to say anything else? No, you can say whatever you want. It's a podcast. You're supposed to say a lot. I think it, which I think is an indication of my own internal need to rest. Maybe more mm-hmm. than heaven. I think I just projected my own state of my soul, but that is that is what I what came to mind. I think a little bit of both is can also be true in that in that, yeah, in that answer. Um, when I wake up tomorrow, I'll. Oh, I don't want to say it. I'll ugh, I'll I'll do the Peloton. <laughs> <laughs> Look, this is the thing. I have, I've had a lot of judgment in my heart about Peloton. It's been a whole thing. I roll my Mm -hmm. eyes. I don't, I just, I feel like it's a cultural marker of someone I do not want to be. But what happened is I went to a hotel in Austin. They had one. I tried it and I was like dying. I was like Mm -hmm. drenched with sweat. I looked online. You can rent them. You don't have to buy. They bring them and they, they take them away. So I said to my husband, I think we should try it. And he's like, that's really strange, but I'm pretty into it. I am. So and you're still you're still using it like it hasn't turned into like a coat rack, right? I've only had it for a week, and I'm just oh. I already regret telling you because I'm I'm already not liking that I set it up. I just I don't want to tell people I've got shame. <laughs> 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 so maybe it's, it's good we're talking about it. But yeah, yeah. This is this happening. is this is this is a safe place. I'm sure people listening <laughs> so to this have, have a Peloton. There. You're doing great, but it's it's also like if it works for you it works for you uh it's not for some people it's a it's a sign of social status like i've got a peloton but like they don't use it and you know they don't use it but you're like i don't want to tell you this but i do use it you know i I feel like since it's rented then that makes it okay right whatever that's ridiculous but my friend yesterday i I, you told me that she's like i didn't want to judge you but i'm judging you i'm like i'm judging myself so yeah I need to work it out, but it's okay. Anyways, I'm feeling pretty. I'm feeling pretty uh, energized because of it. So I'm going to just keep riding it, and they can always yeah, take and it, it away. And, it, and it's helpful, right? Like I, 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 we have a bike here. It's not a Peloton. I don't, I don't. But it's like I've been riding it, and I afterwards I'm like, oh, I have new life. 
I can do things. There's something about moving your body before you go sit and stare at a screen for four hours, you know? Even better than coffee, I'm gonna tell you. It is. I, I, I do. I don't disagree. I had a, uh, I had to give up coffee for about 10 days a while back and I drink about three or four cups a day, depending on the Same. day. And so cutting yeah. it off clean and I had to find other ways that were like, all right, now you're back. And so it was, it was, I went I'm back to the, to the exercise and now I'm back to drinking coffee. So we're fine. Um, yeah. <laughs> all right. Next one. I don't know much, but I know for certain that Uh, that the, the days will, the days will get longer, that it'll get better. You know, I'm just, I just looked outside because I was talking to my son on the way to school this morning. He said something I didn't know. I didn't know that I was feeling like gloomy or until mm -hmm. the, until the, the season changed. Cause just now mm -hmm. in Seattle, you look outside, everything's in bloom. The lights longer in the winter, it gets dark at four. It stays light mm -hmm. till almost eight now in the summer. It's almost 11 because we're so far North. And so I think that is something that I that I know that like the light will bring some kind of consolation that even on the darkest day of the year, we're moving towards something better. And of course, there's some metaphor for God in there. Um, yes. Yeah. yeah. No, I, well, I, I can, uh, I can relate to your son. I just wrote something the other day about how I am. I'm like unbeatable when the sun is out. Like mm -hmm. I can do a thousand pushups and stop a train with my left hand. Like I can do whatever, but as soon on as the, the sun hides on the Peloton, <laughs> The rented, pel the rented Peloton, On but the as rental. soon, yeah. But as soon as the sun goes away and it's just gloomy, I am just. It is hard to be a human when the sun is gone. Yeah. Well, yeah. Tanner, visit Seattle, but don't move here because. <laughs> yeah, it's, <laughs> it's on. It. It's on the list of places to visit. I've been to Portland and I've loved loved Portland, but never made it all the way up to Seattle. Soon. In the summer, it is just a total, total daytime dream. I mean, really magical. We Perfect. all forget about the winter. <laughs> That's good. All right. Last one. I would tell my eighth grade self that. You're a writer. That's what I would say, because I started, I started writing in fifth grade and it took me until I was do you want to know? I mean, it's, I, I wrote like an, so I wrote an op-ed a few years ago for like a, mm -hmm. for like a national, for a well-known publication. And the byline said, Miss Phillips is a writer. <laughs> and I looked at my husband and I said, I don't believe it, you know? And so I, if I could have, if I could have figured that out, just to loop back mm -hmm. to how we started, if I could have figured that out when I was that young, I think that I would have been creatively in a much more unstuck place for a long time. And so now, so it really did take me until a few years ago to start saying that. So I would I would go back and tell myself, like, you're a person that this isn't for someone else. The table is long. There is room for you. You know, I'd say that to folks listening, like publication is not the same as writing, you know? And so yeah. it would be so cool to publish a book again. It's so cool that I got to do it. But even if it never happens again, like writing is something in you. And so that's something that if I could go back and tell myself and infuse in my like young mind, I think that creatively I would have been at a much more spacious place all these mm -hmm. years later. That's good. That's good. That's really good. Yes, you are a writer and you wrote a great book, Orphan <laughs> Believers. Uh, I will have the links for it in the show notes. Uh, where where else can uh, can listeners find your work? Thanks, Tanner. I, I'm a, I write a Substack called Bitter Scroll, and I'm I'm on Instagram at Sarah Phillips. 
Yes. Yes. Oh, Instagram. Oh, Instagram. Well, I'm thankful for Instagram because I think that's how I found your work through mutual people who write books and share things. And uh, uh, thank you so much for for being on the show. And thank you for writing this book and for continuing to write. Um, I know it's it, it means a lot to a lot of people and I'm one of them. So thank you. Thank you so much. This has been a joy. Awesome. We'll talk to you soon. Thank you for joining me for this episode of the Walk a Little Slower podcast. Make sure to check out the show notes that you can follow along with Sarah's work and also grab her book, Orphaned Believers. Again, it's a really, really great read. Special thanks to my friend Matt Daring for creating the episode for this podcast. Go ahead, visit writtentospeak.com to check out the latest blog, grab books, check out the shop, or you can book me for an upcoming event or just say hello. I always, I always like mail. It's always great. All right. Well, that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Make sure you're subscribed, rate, review. You know it. You've listened to podcasts before. You know how these all end. So with that, I just want to say thank you. Love y'all. Talk to y'all real soon. Peace.